We're going to continue a study that we began last Sunday in Ephesians uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 14 through 21. Whenever I see the title of this sermon, I named it because I was thinking about the, the movie. Um, a few good men where Jack Nicholson is in the court case and being pressed and charged and challenged to tell the truth about uh, the military actions among the, the DMZ in Korea. And of course he yells and shouts out to the attorneys in his suit, you can't handle the truth. And so when I read this passage, it's as if Paul is saying, and if you will, in his Jack Nicholas voice, you can't handle the love. There is a magnitude and depth and breadth of God's love that takes supernatural activity to even comprehend and grasp it. Uh, and that is the, really the crux of the prayer of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21 uh, that we began last week. And it really is a church-wide prayer. Uh, it is a prayer to the church, a prayer for the church, a prayer of the church uh, that we pray together. Uh, and so I'm going to ask that you uh, turn in your Bibles to this text. We're going to have this on the screen, uh, Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 21. And uh, I'd like for us to uh, read this together. If you can't read that, then uh, there you go. Uh, you can read that a little bit better. Um, but uh, I'm going to ask that uh, as we I'll read this, that we'll stand together in honor of this being God's word uh, to us. If you'll read aloud, I know normally you read silently, read aloud with me uh, as we pray this to God. So Ephesians 3 verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. When the church is working well, it is a place of grace, but a grace that calls to truth. And so it's been said that uh, it is to be a community of people where it's okay not to be okay. But it is also a community of people that calls us To not remain the same. So there is an openness, an arms that embraces people that says, if you're not okay, then this is the right group of people to be with. 
But it is also a love and a truth that's within this community that calls us to say, you know, yes, we understand that we're sinners, but there is a movement among us and through us by the Holy Spirit and His Word to be something that we're not. A call, an encouragement to be Christ-like. And it is such a kind of a rare uh, mixture. You don't see it in any other group of people uh, in really in the world. And it's easy for us at church to move away from that because we have all types of other patterns around us. And sometimes we move away to too much law and not enough grace. And sometimes we move to too much grace without a call to truth. And we have to maintain the balance of Jesus Christ who is the perfect blend of spirit and truth. And so I'm going to ask that uh, before we even continue any further, that we would go in prayer and ask God to reveal His Word to us that we might know the right balance in our heart and the balance in our church. And would you pray for me as well uh, in that after uh, lunch, I'm going to be doing a funeral uh, for a a family that I know through Taekwondo. And uh, it is a lot of people there that don't know what it means to have Jesus Christ moving in their life. Uh, and so would you pray for me uh, as uh, we continue on uh, this day and how God would work. So let's, let's uh, bow in prayer. Father, as we've read in Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, this idea of the church was your idea, your creation. And it is given to reveal the manifold wisdom of you, the multifaceted wisdom of how you work. And to show it off, not to just the people around us, but you are working through churches to show off to spiritual authorities, to to heaven uh, angels and to demonic realm, what you are doing to the church and bringing many peoples together, united, many different cultures united, different, different sects of people united now by your son Jesus Christ and to bring all things under his name. Lord, we're talking about things that are really too high for us, but yet you've given them to us to talk about. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to think rightly about church, to think rightly about truth, to think rightly about relationships with one another. Father, I pray that your grace as given to us by faith, through faith, as gift, would have its full effect in how we relate to one another. Lord, help us to comprehend this abstract idea of love that would be concrete. And Lord, I pray that you would use us this day as we go to demonstrate faithfully your truth and your love. Lord, in what we say, but also in how we do and what we do. God, would you grant me wisdom and the words to minister, to bring comfort to a family stricken in grief, but also, Lord, that you would give me the words and comfort to proclaim your truth, to do it well. You would use it that it would be, be compelling for others to know the beauty of who you are. Father, we pray that this would be truth lived out in our life. We ask this in your name.
So we look in Ephesians 3, verse 14, uh, begins with this phrase, for this reason. And we learned last week as we, as we saw this, for this reason, that it actually goes back to the end of chapter 2. Uh, you see in chapter 3, verse 1, that again, for this reason is, is stated. In it. And, and verse 1 through 13 is kind of like this per, a parenthesis that Paul gets into and talking about how God has used him as a minister to bring Gentiles and Jews together. Uh, but the crux of the, of the point of why he's praying, you find in chapter 2, verse especially 20 through 22, when he talks about the church, this wonder of the church. In fact, as, as you read in, in chapter 1, verse 10, you see the wonder of God's plan to be, bring unity in all things under Christ, which his ministry is, is a part of that. And in chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, we see God bringing reconciliation vertically between us and God. Uh, but then that grace that is given, I have passage verse 8 and 9, for by grace you save through faith, it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It has application, we see this in verses 11 through 22, in bringing reconciliation to others. God saves us by grace, so now this grace extends to people who are not like us. We now give them room to be different. Grace is God's unmerited favor that God has given to us. And so now for us to give grace to someone else is to make room for their mistakes, to make room for their errors, for their sins, and to say, you know what, when you come to God, we, uh, we are going to extend the same grace that God has given to us, and we're going to extend it to you. And we call them to repentance. And so it is to make room uh, for others. Uh, And then in chapter 2, verse 22, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. One of the reasons I wanted to preach on Ephesians is because I wanted us to understand what a great thing the church is that is worth inviting people to be a part of the church. It, It has nothing to do with how the quality of music it is, or, or whether I'm engaging as a preacher, uh, but has everything to do with what God has made us and to see the spiritual realm of who we are. If we could get our eyes on that and let that direct us uh, and how we think about ourselves uh, as well as to others. And so Paul says, you know, considering all this, I want to bow in prayer. Because we are living stones interdependent on one another. And because of this community, God wants to dwell among us, through us, in us. And because of that, because we are a living temple, I'm going to pray that we can capture a little bit more of what that means. That you can have some idea of what it is that God is wanting to do in your life. That God would strengthen us according to His glory in our inner man by His Holy Spirit. That we can understand what it is to have Christ dwelling in our life by faith. So that we might know some more about God's love for us. And after understanding more of His love, that we can enjoy the fullness of God's fullness. To be the temple. And that's... You just need to understand what Ephesians teaches is that you can't know God by yourself alone. You can know parts of God, but according to this passage in Ephesians, for us to really understand who God is, it actually takes a community of people saved by the grace of God. It takes a church. And that's why the church becomes critical, interdependent, working with them. So, 
That being said, let's uh, get into this. Last time we, we got into uh, the first part of this in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, as we looked at what it is to, to pray that we have a strong inner man. And so we looked at that some last week. Why do we need to have a strong inner man? So that we can have a deeper faith with Christ. Uh, so that Christ, you see this in verse 17, may dwell in your hearts through faith. Uh, and so the inner man, the Spirit of God working in us, allows us to have faith, to believe, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And so uh, when we think about the fact that Christ wants to make his home, uh, when it says dwell in, your, dwell in your hearts, to make himself at home in your life. Uh, and so I've been watching our neighbor um, who has just moved in, this their first year living in, uh, in, their, in their house. And I'm watching, it's just been a flurry of activity ever since they moved into their home. Right now they're taking popcorn ceilings off, uh, and it's taken them all week, and they're just exhausted and tired. And, and I remember back to when we moved in, and I thought, yeah, you know, there was, you don't just go into a house, do you? Uh, you, know, you go in and you kind of customize it. I remember uh, when we looked around thinking the first time and we were going to buy this house, I thought, you know what? Me living with pink Formica counters won't work. Um, that's got to go. That might have worked 30 years ago, but n- no, I can't live with pink Formica uh, countertops. And, and so there's this, this, this flurry of activity to say, what, what makes the house look like us? So consider what it is for Jesus Christ, his spirit to live in our hearts and our life. There is going to be a customization that takes place in your attitudes and your thinking and your pleasures and your desires where he starts working in your life. And so let me ask you, since Christ has come into your life, how has your life adjusted to that? Has your will ever been crossed? You know, it's, it's, it's popular to say, well, you know, I, I follow Christ in the way that I want to follow Christ. I, you know, I, I believe in, in my truth and, and my Jesus and my God. And, and instead of God personalizing the person's life, we are personalizing God and saying this is who my Jesus is. As if you've got your own little, you know, personal Jesus in your pocket. He is as he is. We don't do that to anyone else, but somehow we do that to Jesus and think it's okay. And the problem with that is that we never have a God that crosses our will. We never have a God that will cross our will. So guess what? God isn't God. He's just an extension of us, and we're God. When we say that we make our own truth. And, and so when Jesus comes in, i got to ask you, has he crossed your will in any way? Has there been an adjustment that you've had to do because Jesus is moving into your heart and life? And so that's what he's saying is as a church, we're going to pray that Jesus makes his home in us personally and makes his home in us corporately together as we work together to fulfill his mission and worshiping him. And so... Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Notice that? With all the saints. In other words, this is something we do together, how deep God's love is for us. So we're going to pray that we may grow in love of Christ. Now here's what I found. Uh, Growing up in a Christian home, Hearing the gospel all my life did not mean that I comprehended it. Sometimes it's the word grasping. 
uh, is the word used. You might have a translation that says something like, it has more than just knowing some facts. And so what I found in my life is that somewhere along the way, God worked in my life for it to click. And since that first time that happened when I was probably about 17, 16, it has been one series after another, now 42, where it is constantly clicking. A new aspect of what his love means for me in a different part of my life. And as I keep living, and as God gives me life to live on this earth, it is an expectation, anticipation of furthermore of God's love clicking in my life. And but here's, the, here's the bad news, okay? I've often found that it's been preceded by emotional angst. You know, the emotional angst of adjusting and realizing life isn't according to how I think it ought to go or how I expect it ought to go and my will gets crashed and my heart breaks. But in the heartbreak, there is God intervening in that moment and showing me how the gospel of Jesus Christ still applies to this disappointment, this uh, breaking of my heart, this breaking of my will. And I realize it's all good still. And I learn more about God's love. So it sounds cheery, doesn't it? Let's learn about God's love. But I found That the learning of God's love is done at the revelation of my brokenness. How I can't make it happen. So this hit me, um, just a little personal story. When I was 16, 16, 17, somewhere in that ballpark, I I, I had a girlfriend. And uh, here's how it happened. I got jealous. You know, I just got jealous. And um, I was trying to figure out what this emotion of jealousy was. Is anger? Is this insecurity? Is this fear? And yes, it is all these things. And, it, and it, what happened is, is my, my, my girlfriend was, was flirting with the guy that I grew up with. You know, he's the same age as me. We went to elementary, middle school. And I didn't realize it, but I had this kind of hidden uh, competition going on with him. No one ever talked about it, but we just always... Uh, had that. But when she started flirting with him, my heart just got enraged. I didn't know how to deal with that. And, and this is how bad it was. I actually cried in front of my dad. <laughs> I was just like, you know, I was trying to keep it in, hold it in, and he started asking me questions. And I was like, stop it, dad, you know. Just, <laughs> and I'm crying, sobbing. And uh, he said, why are you crying? Well, you know, I'm just telling him I don't know what's going to happen with this girl, you know, and she keeps flirting with this guy, and um, I was just, so, I mean, I didn't sound calm like that, I was sobbing, and uh, dad was just like, well, you know, I think she's a good girl, it's too bad y'all didn't meet later in life, we often thought that would be good, but, um, you know, if God wants her to marry you, he can keep her for that. And if that doesn't happen, well, you know, maybe God's got someone else that you won't be disappointed in. And it's like in that moment, I knew that I'm supposed to trust God with my soul, with my death, with my body, with heaven, eternal life, but not the girl. You know, that, no. But in that moment, it was so crystal clear. Oh. This is what it means to trust God. This is what it means 
to have faith. This is what it means to believe that God is for me and that there is no uh, measure of person of jealousy of any one threat of power that can separate me from God's love for me. And so what I discovered from that point on was that the relational struggles between a guy and a girl was not a place that drove me away from God, which had been the case up to that point, but instead now became opportunity to drive me to Jesus Christ and trust Him with it. And I found that that was just the, the, the angst of a 16, 17-year-old, and I found that the angst of a 42-year-old uh, may have different details, but at the heart it's the same. Well, I trust Him. Well, I believe that God is for me. When, when it seems like others are against me, when it seems like life is against me, will I believe that God's love comprehends more and is greater still and that there's no threat to the fact that God loves me? I come across it from time to time with, uh, with people who, who, who would say to me, you know, I, is God punishing me? They look at the stuff that's going on in life and I realize, no. When God wanted to punish you, there's hell, and there's Jesus dying on the cross. And when you trust in Jesus Christ, his punishment goes to Jesus Christ. What God's got now is working for you, and that in the struggles and in the travails of life, it is an opportunity to bring emotional angst to you so that you can surrender to God. And know how God loves you through that. In the midst of it, when... when Society, our institutions, our people are revealed to not be as reliable as you thought they would be. And when finances are not as reliable as you thought they would be. When your house is more of a troublesome thing instead of a full thing. To know that Jesus is your safety. He is your heart. He is your strength. And it's just got to be a moment where I can tell you this and I can relay it to you. I can be as passionate as I want to be. But it's not going to happen until the Holy Spirit works in your heart. And it clicks. And that's why Paul prays. And he prays for this. Blase Pascal, mathematician, philosopher, uh, French philosopher, but also believer. Um, incredible mind. He's still studied uh, and his mathematic principles still uh, hold true. Um, but it's, when he, after he died, they um, found that he had kind of like this spiritual journal, and he had a page torn out and put into the inseams or into the lining of his coat, so he was always there close to his chest as he walked. And they never knew it was there until after he died and, uh, and found it and discovered it there in his clothing. And this is some of, it's a lot that he wrote, but some of the, the summary of it. He, he, he was writing about an experience. He says, in the year of grace, 1654, Monday... November 23rd, from about half past 10 in the evening till about half an hour after midnight, fire. He had the word fire, all caps. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certainty, joy, certainty, emotion, sight, joy, 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 tears of joy. My God, never leave me. Let me not be separated from, it, from you. And on and on it goes. It was this moment where the Holy Spirit worked in his life and opened up his heart to understand his love for him. And it was such a monumental thing 
that he never forgot it and shared it by putting that journal entry into the lining of his coat. D.L. Moody once had a, a similar experience where he said that uh, one day in the city of Newark, and he, just, just a sense of God's presence and love was felt upon his heart. He said that God had revealed himself to him, that he had such experience that, that he had asked him to stay his hand, that he couldn't comprehend it anymore. I would just bring to your mind that as you sit here, as you come here, and you've heard people and preachers and, and parents and others and uh, friends tell you God loves you, but would it, could it be that as you sit here that there is an experience, a comprehension of love that you've yet to know? And I would say to you, that is most certainly the case. And is why Paul prays that we might understand, come to grips, not just in our head, but comprehend, grasp that which is uncomprehensible with all the saints, God's love. He goes on and looking at these four dimensions of love, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The width of his love, of his acceptance. In fact, if you just read chapter 2, verse 17 in the same letter, he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, that God's peace is available to all whether you're far or near. Is it accepting? It says, as Isaiah says, that though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Jesus Christ died on the cross, so you're saved by grace alone. And if you're saved by God's grace alone, then God's love is infinitely wide if it's done by grace alone. I've shared with you before that we have this idea that it's by being good somehow that God embraces you. And I'm going to say to you that's way too narrow. Way too narrow because not one of us can be good. And if goodness is our only qualification to get into heaven, then we're all doomed. And there is no hope. But if it's grace, then there is hope. But if it's grace, then there is no limitation to God's wideness, his love, that he will embrace all that will come to him. I'm struggling with that with this man, as a, a, a man who lost his wife, and I'm talking to him, and I'm doing his funeral later on, and, and he, is just, he doesn't get uh, that, that all that he's done and all that he has is by the grace of God because he feels like it's been working, and he, he just shared with me, he said, I've never worked so hard to pray for the salvation. I pray for my, the life of my wife. So consequently, he feels betrayed. Feels like God has rejected him because he thought that God would answer because of his work. Somehow, some way, the person who's attended church all his life never understood that it's not by your work, it's totally by God's grace that we're saved. And therefore, there is a wideness to it. How long? God's love, the length of his love, the lasting aspect of love. It's just to say that not only will God's love last me all my life, it will last beyond my life. God's love lasted before my life. Read chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 4 and 5. He made reference to this right there in the book. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoptions of sons to Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. That tells me that before I was born, God's love was there waiting for me. When I breathed my first breath, God's love was there waiting for me. When uh, the, the seeds were, were fertilized, God's love was there already waiting for me even then. 
That's a long love. How long will the love of God last? John 10, Jesus says, I know my own, I gave them eternal life, and no one can pluck them out of my hand. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, I am convinced that one who began a work in you will begin it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. His love is infinitely long. I can't, I can't outdo his love. His love is greater than my sin. And he never takes it off. How high is God's love? What is the exalted nature of God's love? Read chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 of Ephesians that we just read. He says, He has raised us up with Him, referring to Jesus Christ, seated us with Him, with Jesus Christ, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. How high is the love of Christ? It takes us all the way to the point of glory with Him. He exalts us to that degree. That's amazing. In fact, we prayed in John chapter 17 where we see that Jesus himself prayed, Father, I want them to have the glory we have had before the creation of the world. That was the very prayer of Jesus on the night of of the Garden of Gethsemane. We saw that as we studied in Easter. That was the exalted nature. Where will love take you? The love of Jesus. (laughs) He won't take you to the Olympics. He won't take you to the political realm. (laughs) He's much too loving for that. He takes you to the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus in exalted places where we do not belong, but in Jesus Christ we do. That is how high the love. But how can it be that this love could be so wide, so long, so high? Because it's so deep. What is the deep nature of love? It is the sacrificial nature of Jesus. How deep did Jesus go? How, how deep was the love of God to bring us to him? It went as far as hell when Jesus was on the cross and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that point, it is the definition of hell to be forsaken by God, to be uh, away from the presence. Jesus went there because of love. Amazing. We know from all purposes and definitions of what love is, love costs something, or else it's not love. There is the idea where people will say, well, I have a loving God, but I don't want to necessarily talk about Jesus dying on the cross. I mean, that just seems kind of gory. Why did he have to do Can he just declare forgiveness? What is the love of God if it doesn't cost God anything? I mean, you can write it on every book of the Bible and have this this. Page is filled with nothing but God saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. But if we don't see Jesus dying on the cross, then it doesn't hit us what's written on the page. But when we see Jesus dying on the cross, taking our sin, paying the price, I mean, really, what, what could cost God? God owns everything. The only thing it could cost him was himself for it to really cost. And that's exactly what he laid himself on our behalf, the deep nature of the love of God that brings out the width, the depth of it, the, the, the length of it, the height of it. It is the incredible deep love of Jesus Christ. And so we can say, as the songwriters said, go, that it could be as deep as the oceans and we're just swimming on the top of it and the love of God is deeper still than all the oceans together. So, he says, this love of God To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. 
to experience it. When I feel the deepest ones that I loved around me not love me, it pushes me upon the love of Jesus Christ. And I experience in a whole new way I couldn't when I'm surrounded by the loved ones here. But then he has this phrase, with all the saints. With all the saints, that we would know this. And so let me ask you, can someone be with the saints here and know the love of Christ? That's our prayer, that's our goal, that's what we want to be. This week is just unusual in that I had multiple people come and share and, and, and brokenness and, and just uh, share with me things that they were embarrassed by, things they were ashamed of, uh, various things like that, but they needed help and they just needed some thoughts. And there's multiple people throughout this week. One of the things I would share with them is you need to know that there's a group of people that you can tell these things to and you know you're going to be okay. Is there anybody you can share things you're ashamed of? Tell it to them. And you'll know you'll be okay. Interesting enough, it, it seems how, if you ask the average person, the church is the last group of people they would say that qualifies to. Or you'll be in church and you're like just got to keep it together until I go home and then I'm going to cry. I don't want to cry among the folks at church. If you can't cry among the people at church, then something's desperately wrong with the church. If you can't cry among the people at church, then who can you cry to? It requires a community of people that more than surface conversations more than style that bonds us together. Because style does not breed love. More than age, more than ethnicity. When you know personally your sin and how you've been messed up and wrecked, but God has loved you and given you grace in the midst of it, you can talk to someone else who is in shambles and realizes that there's not much difference between you and them. And you can extend hope to that person. And you're not desperate, you're not, you're not really shocked either. Some people will say, well, if I tell all this stuff, then people are going to be shocked. That's because you don't know who they, who they are. There's not many revelations in our church that shock me much anymore. It's not because I know you so well. It's because I know myself. And I know what God's grace can do in my life. Will we be the church that Paul can say, we'll know the love of God with all the saints. And in fact... How we are treated by the church and the people in the church makes concrete what we hear in the scripture. And that's why it's so devastating with this concept of de-churched people who have had bad experiences in church. That's why it's so devastating. Because it reflects something that we, we want God to do. And, and so we kind of measure the love and grace of God by God's people. And when God's people share little grace, little love, then we think there's little grace, little love with God. 
And that is why there's so many people out there that says, I want nothing to do with church because they used to have something to do with it. That's a hard realization, church, but it's out there. It doesn't take many people to talk to to figure that out. As a body, you know people who you disagree with? It is an opportunity to demonstrate grace, to demonstrate love. It is an opportunity to know God's love. And so that's why he's going to put you with a bunch of people that disagree with you sometimes. Because it's an opportunity for us to love and know God's love. Most anybody can be happy and cheerful and joyful when they're surrounded by people that agree with them. But you don't know divine love in those moments. Mafia can do that, right? Terrorists can do that, right? We've got to be different. To be united by the love of Christ. And then he goes on and says, we, we pray for this. We pray that we can uh, know, grow in the love of Christ. Why? Why do we want to pray so that, you see this again in verse 19, so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That is to be filled is to be satisfied, satisfied with all of who God is. And so in a church, there is an opportunity to know further all of who God is and be satisfied with Him when there's a group of people that are saturated, impacted by the love of God that has their inner men strengthened by the Holy Spirit that Christ is at home with them. To be satisfied them. Now, does this seem like a tall order to ask? <laughs> I mean, look around. <laughs> you, know, you know who I am. You know who you are. Is this a tall order to ask that God could do something among such a people? I think there's a part of us that says, maybe there's some church somewhere doing that. I'd like to be a part of one. But I don't see it happening here. I think that's why you have one of those greatest assurances of God's power that follows after this. Verse 20 and 21. Now, to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. That's pretty amazing. It's not just more than we ask. He, he can do more than we ask. And he can do abundantly more than we ask. No, that's not. He can do more abundantly. No, no, that's not. He can do far more abundantly than all we ask. No, that's not enough either. He can do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Let your imagination stretch and God can do more than that. How? According to the power that is at work within us. According to the Holy Spirit. This is why we want the Holy Spirit in our life. This is why we listen and we don't disobey the Holy Spirit, because He can do, God can do through Him all or more than we can ask, far more abundantly than we can ask or think. So, I want you to know the context of what He's saying, because this is an amazing promise. For instance, the funeral I'm going to, sat down with a man who's been married to this woman, who died 10 years, 
And he said to me, I have served the Lord. I prayed, and I prayed more than I ever prayed for him, for him to heal her. And the one thing I feel like I need the most, he's denied me. She died. I don't know if I'll pray again. I don't know if I'll talk to God again. I might just live the rest of my life bitter and alone. Extend to him, that doesn't have to be. So I know, but I don't know if I'll choose anything else. And here I am reading this prayer, this scripture today. God can do more than you can ask or think, abundantly more. And I've got this guy's voice echoing in my head. Which one's which? I want you to understand that this love of God, this strengthening of your inner man, this Christ being at home in you, is the greatest thing that God can do in your life. And that is the greatest position of battle mentally, spiritually, emotionally in our heart. When God allows the love of Christ to grow in our heart, strengthens our inner man according to the Spirit of God, according to His riches and glory, when God does that, it is a miracle. It is to know the fullness of God and to understand that all of creation is but shadows to point to the fullness of God that you can be satisfied in Him. And it may be that God, in His wisdom somehow, and I can't figure out and connect all the dots, but I can just say to you that it may be that in God's wisdom somehow He has seen it fit and wise and good to allow you to spend a few years apart from a wife if it means that you can somehow get the fullness of God that can only happen in your heart and mind through that separation so that you and her might enjoy God for eternity. But I can't say that to him right now. I can't say that to him right now. Because that type of perception is a spiritual fruit. In fact, I may say that to you right now and you think I'm off my rocker. Some of you get it. I would say that type of perspective is the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in your heart. It is, as James says, wisdom. It's peaceable, gentle. This wisdom to see the beauty of God's authority in every circumstance. And to know and believe that God is working through that. Until that time, I pray that this man can be confronted and comforted by God's people in the church. And that perhaps God's kindness will lead him to repentance. But it's a spiritual activity. I pray the same thing for you. Some of you may sit here with hard hearts and you're passing the time until finally will you ever let us go. I get it, I know it, it doesn't matter what I say. The only thing that changes you is the Holy Spirit working in your heart and life. And that's why Paul says, I write this, but even more, I pray this. Will you pray this?
I'm going to ask that as we close, we close with our Bibles open on Ephesians 3, verse 14 through 21. We'll have it on screen if you don't have a Bible. And I want us just to meditate on this a little bit, prayerfully think through this. I think this is what Paul is asking us to meditate to consider, to comprehend, to intentionally think about this. I know as soon as you leave here, you're going to be all kinds of noises. Will you just pray? I'm going to read it out loud slowly. You read it too. And make this your prayer for you. Make it your prayer for someone else. How do we get this? We start by praying. How do we get this? We pray with bended knee, with submissive hearts to say, God, I'm going to allow you to cross my will. You can't get this knowledge, this realization, this understanding, apart from prayer and apart from allowing God to cross your will. For this reason, I bow my knees or for you, our Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, according to the riches of your glory, would you grant us to be strengthened with power through your Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ, your Son, may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ, your Son, that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of who you are. And Lord, we believe that you're able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To you be glory in this church. Glory in Jesus Christ. Through all, all generations that may come after us. Forever and ever. Amen. And when we're before you in heaven, we'll still say the same. I pray this in your name.